0: All right, our passage is Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. Luke 10, 30 to 37. However, in order to get the context of this, we'll read from verse 25. Luke ten, twenty-five. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself and he said to him you have answered correctly do this and you will live but wishing to justify himself he said to jesus and who is my neighbor jesus replied and said a certain man was going down from jerusalem to jericho and he fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went off leaving him half dead and by chance a certain priest was going down on that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him, and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. In verses 25 to 29, last time we saw that there was a self-righteous lawyer who approached Christ with this question about eternal life, And Jesus asks him what is written in the law, and he gives the right answer. However, he does not want to love his neighbor in the proper sense. He knows what he should do, but he does not want to do it. And that's why it says in verse 29, But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? He wanted to escape the obligation of helping his neighbor. So Jesus answers that in our verses 30 to 37, this is known as the Good Samaritan or the parable of the Good Samaritan. It doesn't call it a parable here, but it may have been a parable. It may have been a real incident. It's not unlikely that such an incident would have occurred in this, uh, on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. So verse 30, let's see what Jesus says in order to illustrate who a neighbor is. In order to illustrate who a neighbor is, <coughs> Jesus replied and said, He's replying to the question, Who is my neighbor? A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A certain man, he doesn't say who this man was, whether he was a Jew or a Samaritan, or a Roman, or whatever, but it is likely that this man was a Jew. He was a Jew because they populated this area from Jerusalem to Jericho more than any other race. So it is likely that he was a Jew. And we notice that the priest has to be a Jew, and the Levite has to be a Jew, but the Samaritan is not, according to verse 33. In verse 33, it says, but a certain Samaritan who was on a journey. See, he wouldn't normally be in that area, but he was on a journey. Therefore, it's likely that the priest was certainly a a Jew, the Levite was a Jew, and this certain man was a Jew. You see, this is important because the Jews took pride in their own race and helping each other, but not helping people of the other race. They didn't want to do that. So here, this one goes, this Jew, goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. These are two major cities in the uh, land of Israel. And when it says he's going down from Jerusalem, Jerusalem was on a mountain, that's why it says it that way. And Jericho was in the valley towards the Jordan River. And it says, and he fell among robbers. Apparently, in this part of the area, It was notorious for robbers and bandits uh, attacking travelers on this road. So they catch this man, they strip him, they beat him, and they went off leaving him half dead. Typical of what robbers do, that's what they did to this man. So this is the scenario, this is the situation. We have an emergency. This man did not know this was going to happen, and he's half dead. He's beaten up and he's stripped. That means his possessions are taken away from him, so he's there on the road. You could say this is an emergency, this is an urgency, this is an accident, this is a tragedy, something unexpected has happened right here. Verse 31, And by chance a certain priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest, a certain priest. The priests were those who handled the law. They were the ones who taught the people what the Bible teaches. What the Bible says they would teach the people. They were responsible for that. They were the ones who were transcribers of the law too. Many of them, like Ezra. Remember, Ezra was a scribe and priest of the Lord in the book of Ezra. So Ezra was one of those who who was very, very familiar with the Bible. So these priests would have been very familiar and perhaps more so than the average man, the average Jew. And he knows better. He knows what the implications are of the commandments. But he said, "It saw him, he passed by on the other side. Although he saw him, he didn't want to help. He just went on his way. He did not want to help somebody of his own race even. He just walked away. Verse 32, And likewise a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Levites, they were from the tribe of Levi, and they were also commissioned to do certain ministries of the tabernacle and the temple, and they were also teachers. So this would have been another knowledgeable man who should know better, but he did not do better. It says, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. It was okay with him to leave this half-dead man on the road and to walk away. He knew what, what he should do, but he did not do it. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. A certain Samaritan. A Samaritan. The Samaritans were loathsome people to the Jews. The Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were in neighboring regions. They were in the north part of the land of Israel, and the Jews in the southern part of the land of Israel. The Samaritans said that they should worship God on Mount Gerizim, the Jews said, no, we ought to worship God in Jerusalem, where the temple is. The Jews, in that dispute, they had the right position. But the point is that they hated each other. They hated each other and did not often have dealings with each other, because the Samaritans were a mixed race. When in 600 um, or 722 BC, when the Assyrians in 722 BC came westward, they came and attacked the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes, and they brought many people from their empire to live in the land of Israel in the northern part, and they, they deported many people in the northern part of the land of Israel into foreign countries, in, into the rest of the Assyrian empire. So this mixed race with a mixed religion in the north, that is what the Samaritan was. They were descendants of those people. So they had some things right, but other things wrong in regards to the law. But this Samaritan, when he saw this helpless man, it says he felt compassion. They all saw the helpless man, right? The priest and the Levite. The Samaritan sees And he felt compassion. The moment he saw a need, he did not shut his heart or close his heart against the man in need, but he had compassion, he had mercy on him. And not only that, not only did he feel the compassion, but that compassion caused his conduct to change. How did his conduct change? Verse 34, he came to him. The other two walked away. They went on the other side. But in this case, he came to him, bandaged up his wounds. Whatever means he had, he bandaged up his wounds. That means he's got to be practicing some selflessness, some care for his neighbor like that. He pours oil and wine on them, uh, medicinal agents to help the wounds, to help them heal. And then it says, he put him on his own beast. His own beast of burden. Um, He put him on that. That means that the injured and beaten man was on the beast of burden, but the owner of the beast had to walk. He had to walk. And when he walked, he brought him to an inn. An inn or some, some kind of a hotel, some kind of a place where he could lodge. And he took care of him. He did whatever was necessary to take care of him. And then verse 35. He doesn't just leave it at that. Verse 35. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. So now he's giving this innkeeper business and even giving him business indefinitely whenever Um, whenever I return, when I return, I will repay you. He makes sure that even though he had to proceed and move on with his journey, that that injured man was taken care of by the innkeeper. Then, 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Which of these three? This question that Jesus asked him was obvious. It was a no-brainer. It was one that if the, man, if the lawyer answered wrongly, he would make a fool of himself. Jesus put him on the spot so that he would not make a fool of himself in announcing the wrong answer, but he would make a fool of himself if he did not follow what he answered if he did not do the same thing, if he would not love his neighbor as the Samaritan did. We see in verse 37, And he said, the lawyer said to Jesus, The one who showed mercy toward him. Observe how the lawyer did not say the Samaritan. He did not say the Samaritan. He did not want to say that, likely. He just said the one who showed mercy toward him. He gave the right answer, but he didn't say too much. And then verse 37, And Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. So Jesus clinches it right there. It's a shut case from that point onward. You asked me who is my neighbor. I illustrated. You gave the right answer. So now go do it. He put the burden now on the lawyer who asked him a question to deflect. Jesus is the master debater. um, And here he puts this lawyer to shame. Go and do the same. He has no excuse. He has to do what he just answered. So from this, we gather that when there's somebody in need, somebody with a pressing need, somebody with an urgent matter, and we have the means to help, then we should help. Whatever we can do, whatever means we have to help, we should help. Now let's look at several cross references that will illustrate that this is the case, and d- different circumstances as well. Remember, this is all hinging on verses twenty-seven, uh, verse twenty-seven, where the lawyer gives the correct answer that the greatest commandment is to love and love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what's written in the law. And if we fulfill those properly, fully, then we'll have eternal life. He gave the right answer, but he did not want to obey it. And last time we saw that if we love our neighbor, then we show we love God. But if we uh, don't love our neighbor, then we don't truly love God, even though we might claim to love God. Where is all of this coming from? Well, the love of God passage is Deuteronomy 6:5. Deuteronomy 6:5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. Okay? And then the second one, love your neighbor as yourself comes from Leviticus 19:18. And in fact, we don't know which of the verses Jesus ha- uh which of these verses Jesus had in mind, but I would like to also point out that we have this twice in the same chapter. Leviticus 19.18, in reference to one's countrymen, notice, uh, we'll actually start at verse 17. Leviticus 19.17, this is loving your neighbor as yourself, the countrymen first. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There, he clearly says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and the context is countrymen. However, continue reading in Leviticus 19 and verse 33 33 to 34. 33 to 34. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are aliens in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. In that case, he's clearly talking about loving the stranger, not your own countrymen, but the alien or the stranger who's living in your land love him, because they know what it means to be an alien in the land of Egypt. That's the argument. And that is actually what's going on in Luke 10. The Samaritan loved the Jew, the injured Jew on the road. And even if he wasn't a Jew, we still have this conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. Yet when there is this emergency, they should help each other. They should not be harboring this grudge against each other and not help each other, extend a helping hand. Then, so we know from that, from Leviticus 19, 18, and 34, we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. We also saw last time from 1 John 4, 20 to 21, that if we love our neighbor or our brother, then we truly love God. But if we don't love our brother, we don't love God. 1 John four, verse twenty: If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. If we truly love God, we will love our brother. If we don't love our brother, then we hate our brother. And we also hate God. 1 John 4, 20-21. Another passage to consider is Matthew 7, verse 12. Matthew 7, verse 12. This is a restatement. This is a restatement of the second greatest commandment. Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do so for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you want others to do for you, do so for them. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, for this is the law and the prophets. This sums up the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. Now, if we were half dead, robbed and stripped of our possessions, laying there on the road, would we not want somebody to come and help us? Right. So, That's what Jesus said. Whatever you want others to do for you, do so for them. If somebody is helpless, desperate, go help. All right, now, a few applications of this, a few more specific applications of this. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28. Ephesians 5 28. The Apostle Paul uses the phraseology of the second greatest commandment here. Ephesians five twenty-eight. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. As Christ nourishes and cherishes the church... Because he's the head and the church is his body. The same way husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. Why? Because the two become one flesh. And when they become one flesh, then the wife is as his own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. That's an application of the second greatest commandment. And... In 29, he says, no one ever hated his own flesh. (coughs) No one ever hated his own flesh. And this means that nobody in his right mind, nobody in his right mind is going to beat himself over the head with a golf club, right? Nobody is on his own, when he's thinking correctly, is going to stand in front of a moving train, right? Nobody does that. Nobody hates himself like that when he's thinking correctly. And that's what he's saying. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as we protect ourselves, so if we see somebody, and in this case the husband-wife relationship, the spousal relationship ought to be the closest love your neighbor as yourself application. The closest place, the most immediate place where that should be obeyed between husband and wife. Next, Family. 1 Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 to 16 are relevant, but we'll read just, well, I'll read it quickly. I'll read it quickly, verses 1 to 16. First Timothy 5, 1 to 16, and highlight a few verses in it. 1 Timothy 5 verse one. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God, and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be put on the list, only if she is not less than sixty years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge." And at the same time, they also learn to be idle, as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, let her assist them, and let not the church be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed." Well, a widow indeed, if there is a true widow, according to the stipulations of verses 9 and 10, then the church should help that widow. If there are widows that fit that description of verses 9 and 10, the church should help. But before the church helps a widow, who should be helping? Her own family, her own children, and says... In verse uh, 4, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety or godliness in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. The children and the grandchildren of the widow should be helping their own widows, not the church. You see the steps here? You see the Progress. First, it should be the own, their own children taking up that responsibility. And then, if she meets the qualifications of verses 9 and 10, then the church should help. And if she is a young enough widow, she should just remarry. And also, verse 16 if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, so let's say that there is a relationship, and this is probably the relationship of a free woman and a slave woman who becomes a widow. The free woman is obligated to help the slave widow, not the church. Because it says here, verse 16, let her assist them and let not the church be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. So the church is not the first place to go for support. For a widow. It is a place to go, but in the proper way. And notice verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own, his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If anybody does not take care of his own family, he has denied the faith and is, and is worse than an unbeliever. His own household especially. So this is serious. This is the way of, of Scripture to help those who are widows indeed. Okay, and then another place for another example is Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. We'll actually start at verse 6, Galatians 6, 6 to 10, because often Verse 10 is taken in isolation, but let's read it in context to see what he actually means by his statement in verse 10. Verse 10 is the familiar, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. True, but let's begin at verse 6. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Now, When he says this in verse 10, especially to those who are of the household of the faith, he is talking about those in the church. And he is saying in verse 10, we have to do good to all men. So he's speaking generally, good to all men generally, but especially to those in the church, right? So especially give attention to doing good deeds to those in the church and then also generally to all men. The focus is not on all men. The focus is on those in the church. But who does he have in mind first on the list in the church in this passage? Look at verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. And then he speaks of sowing and reaping. So the church should be helping and supporting the teacher, the pastor of the church. Because it says, verse 6, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. So the material things that the teacher needs, those in the church should be supporting him so that he can have those material things. He needs to uh, conduct his life, race his his own family. Whatever man sows this, he will also reap. That is the immediate application of especially to those who are in the household of the the church. Next, Titus 3.14. Titus 3.14. He stresses in this letter to Titus how the church ought to be engaging in good deeds. Since they are redeemed, now with this grace of God practice good deeds. So Titus 3:14 And let our people also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. Our people, the people of the church, must learn to engage in good deeds. Generally speaking, then he says to meet pressing needs, especially keep in mind those pressing needs, those things that are urgent. Keep those in mind and do good to those who have pressing needs and that they may not be unfruitful. So we would be fruitful if we met pressing needs. We are unfruitful if we see a pressing need and we ignore it and walk away from it. Another example, Leviticus 19 Leviticus 19. Now, we're going to get into an example of people generally who do not have food and covering. What should be done for them? Leviticus 19, verse 9. Leviticus 19:9. 9. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, Nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. They were not supposed to glean after they reaped. They were not supposed to do that. Instead, they were supposed to allow the remnants after the main harvest, allow the remnants of those crops that were still there in the field, a little here, a little there, Leave that for the needy people of their country to go into the field and glean, pick up what was still there in the field. That means that the needy were not supposed to be sitting at home twiddling their thumbs. The needy were not supposed to go to a governmental office and stand in line and register his name to get a monthly check. The needy were supposed to go out and work. And remember Ruth? In the book of Ruth, isn't that what Ruth did? And who was Ruth? Ruth was a widow, right? She was a widow. Her husband died in the land of Moab, and she and Naomi, Naomi's husband also died. Naomi and Ruth came back to the land of Judah as widows, and presumably Naomi was too old to work because she also says she was too old to have a husband and bear children. So Ruth was still young enough. To work and also to remarry and to have a child, which she did through, um, with Boaz. So, what did Ruth do? She went out into the field to work and bring home what she could from the gleanings. Another example, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. We'll actually start at verse 6. We'll read verses 6 to 15, but the main verse will be verse 10. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship we kept working night and day, so that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, that you might follow our example. For when we were with you, we used to give you this order, If anyone will not work, Neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. And yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. The apostle says that we're not supposed to live an unruly, undisciplined life. Instead, we ought to work hard. And he says, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. If he won't work, then don't give him any food. Don't give him. And in fact, we're supposed to Keep aloof, verse 6 says, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life. And verse 14, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. But the manner in which we do so, we should do it as admonishing a brother, uh, not an enemy. So, when we have people all around us, especially in the church, this is the church context, who are living an undisciplined, unruly life. And undisciplined, unruly in this context means they don't go out and work. They don't earn a living. When they don't do that, he says, they are disobeying God and they ought to be admonished. They, there needs to be a warning to them that they might do what's right and stop sinning against God and Themselves, their family, friends, church. And lastly, James 4.17. This will bring us full circle back to um, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. The priests and the Levite, they both knew the right thing to do. Even the lawyer knew the right thing to do, who asked Jesus about who my neighbor is. They all knew the right thing to do, but it was sin to them because they refused to obey the clear teaching of God. It was sin to them. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen. Amen.